The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You're listening to Wins Above Fantasy, part of the Pitcherless Podcast Network with Van Burnett, and Steve Giswelli. Welcome back, everybody. It is Wins Above Fantasy, episode 72, September 8th. Thanks for hanging with us. I'm Van Burnett, and with me, as always, is my trusted co-host, Steve Giswelli. We got a uh, nice little somber reflection show, Steve. Going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to a little bit of big picture reflection on the season. Uh, Tune in for everything from draft lessons learned to in-season management, but we're looking in the rear view mirror, Steve, and if you could just maybe briefly tell us how you're doing and what sparked this show topic, unfortunately. Uh, I am exhausted. We've we've hit a wall. We're sleep training our child, trying to get a, our, our three-month-old daughter to, to sleep through the night, and it hasn't been fun, so I'm exhausted there. I'm exhausted mentally because of the roller coaster that was uh, my home league playoffs last week. Um, you know, it, it's been a physical and emotional roller coaster for me. So uh, I, I'm drained on on all ends. Uh, still in a few leagues that that I care about a lot, but you know, I, as we've mentioned several times, my one home league is my pride and joy, um, and being eliminated from that absolutely stinks. Um, so it, it's tough, but I, I feel like, you know, we've kind of been like, should we do reflection episodes? Should we do recaps? It's like, no, we still have a few weeks. Like, let's get some advice. And we've done some good episodes, but we kind of like, it's been in our forefront to, to, to start to look back on the season now that we're in September and like, you know, leagues are starting to wind down. Like even a lot of leagues finish next week or we are a week or two just to avoid those last two weeks of the season and with football starting up. So um, us both being eliminated from our, our, our main leagues is a, is a good jumping off point to, to start some reflection. So I'm, I'm down to get into it. Yeah, and we will uh, certainly be looking forward throughout the offseason with, you know, getting into two early drafts and, you know, getting more into the numbers, all that good stuff. But for now, we are really just going to be focusing on quite a handful of lessons learned and I think, Steve, we owe it to ourselves next year to hold ourselves accountable to these lessons we'll talk about today, because I know sometimes you kind of fall back into your habits, but I got to say, there's a few things here that 
I have done for several seasons in a row. So I'm, I'm looking forward to turning over a new leaf. It's going to be great. But thank you guys, uh, as always, for hanging with us. We love having regular listeners this time of the year. If you are tuning in, please, please go out and give us a rating on Apple, Spotify, wherever you guys are listening. Subscribe to the podcast, and you guys can follow us on Twitter at WindsAbovePod. I'm at Van underscore Verified, and Steve is at Stav8818. But let's get into it, Steve. So I think, you know, just broad on the topic, before we jump into the specific learnings, how did you feel the season went for you? I can share my thoughts, but let's just get the executive summary on kind of, you know, how, how your analysis went, how, how your leagues have gone, just your overall thoughts before we start getting into the, the lamp of learning. So it's kind of ironic in like all of my NFBC leagues, um, my offense is great. Like in that on the wire league with like, I think there's like 60 teams that I'm vying for the overall championship. I have by far the best offense. What did me in, in my home league was my offense. It, it scuttled all year. I know I talked about it on the show several times. Um, I was trying to make trades and did make trades for offense that, you know, didn't work for, for the most part, trading for Devers and Soto, um, where Devers basically been injured since he's been back and has hit like 100 mm-hmm. for me, literally, since uh, the middle of June when I traded for him. Soto, it's, yeah. the, it's the worst 900 OPS for a fantasy second half like ever. I think he has like four RBIs since he's been to uh, San, Diego. Uh, San Diego. So um, good process, bad results, but... It's just funny, like my offense in my home league was was so so bad, um, and I don't think it's my like a- the actual pitchers in my, in my NFBC league. Like I have good pitchers, like I have Cease and McClanahan in a lot of leagues. I have, you know, uh, Charlie Morton. Even though he wasn't good in the first half, he's been really good um, for me down the stretch. Like I picked up Strider in a few weeks, but it's been the volume there. So I think I need to. Uh, re readjust my approach and get maybe a few more guys that are going to give me more innings and more K's and more wins. Wins has been, I, I know that's a, a tricky stat, but I guess when you apply my punt pitching strategy, that's something that I don't really consider because in a head to head home league, like wins truly are a coin flip, but when wins is a counting category in a standard five by five league, like, that needs much more weight, and I'm going to pay a lot more attention to that next year because I identify good pitchers. I just don't have enough of them, and I don't have enough wins and strikeouts. So um, I sort of did like a reflection on my FBC leagues and noticed that my offense is really, really good in a, in a lot of leagues. Like I have Judge and Otani in, in one league, which is, you know, the two best offensive players basically in the American League, like, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. um, it's just ironic that my home league uh, and I need to apply sort of the, the lessons from my hitting that I did in NFBC leagues and apply that to my home league. So uh, it's way too variable for me in my home leagues. I take way too many risks, which we'll get into as sort of my lesson learned. But um, that that's sort of where I stand overall, uh, overall there league wise. Yeah, I think for me, certainly in like TGFBI, I feel like I had plenty of hits like when I look at my team you know having like a Tony Gonsolin and some names like that where it's really kind of the the sweepstakes winner it definitely hurt 
that my ace was Lucas Giolito. Um, and I think that's another one where we kind of liked the process there. I know we were on the record going in on a couple shows saying that we thought he was a very good bargain and it just kind of popped up out of nowhere. But the main thing for me was I, I got to figure out saves next year and put a little bit more emphasis on them. For whatever reason, I was just always missing the fab bids on mm-hmm. being, you know, I underestimated how, I guess, ravenous and desperate the, the fab bids would be on like established closers mm-hmm. when like a Ryan Helsley comes up and things like that. But other than that, I, I really would have had a fighting chance, I think, because my my hitters were like fourth in the league and my pitchers were... 11th but I'm like top four in every category except for saves I'm second to last which just kills you in like a TGFBI format but yeah overall we'll, we'll get into it as well I feel like on the show from from an analytics process standpoint like a lot of my uh, sleepers and breakout candidates just kind of missed this year and I know last year it, it was much more successful but I feel like I still kind of scratched and clawed into, you know, if you're having a rough year and a lot of your picks aren't coming to fruition and you still end up like making a top six out of like a 15 team league, then there, there's something to be said for the ability to adjust. But sometimes that, uh, you know, if it's just not your year, it's not your year. So that's that's kind of where I landed, but plenty of lessons to jump in on. Um, And I think that's probably a segue, Steve. I'll go ahead and and lead it off that a big one for me is just in the long offseason. There's so much to look at. And you put out the article as well on hot second halves. And I think you were well documented saying, you know, it's not something you, you should overreact to. But here's some research and some breakouts from the second half. And in hindsight, I put a ton of stock into some second half breakouts. And I think it just caused me to kind of wait on certain players for too long or to just put too much into that that boat. But like, you know, guys like Yasmani Grandal was one of my top offseason picks and just what a disaster that turned out to be. Um, you know, Giolito is the other one we mentioned that we loved some of the changes he made. I was big on Blake Snell kind of switching kind of his fastball sinker approach or slider down approach at the end of last season. And it took a long time for Snell to figure it out this year, as well as a guy like Jorge Soler, Joey Votto, who I was really just banking on, you know, being more of their second half selves. And so I think that's a really early one that just in the off season, I'll look at that split and I'll see if there were changes under the hood, which is exactly what was done on the last ones. But I don't think I'm just going to treat that as gospel in my research and say this player will go into the new season carrying forward all the tweaks that they made uh, because it, I, I just feel like it burned me time and time again this season. But I don't know if you got any thoughts on that or if you want to switch over to your, your lessons, but uh, that was one that I thought right away – maybe I put too much stock in that. No, I mean, I, I think even though I did write that article and I, I think most of the guys that I highlighted there were pretty good, save for like Tanner Houck this year. Um, but it's still an arbitrary endpoint, right? Like the second half is kind of it's just a random date that you pick and you still have to find that balance and look at the whole picture. 
sure, there's some things that could be highlighted and changed, but a lot of these changes are going to take place in the off season, right? Like you can't fully change a pitch or, or implement a new pitch in the middle of the season. Sure. You can tweak some things like Snell did with the location, things like that. But these major changes are going to take place in the off season. And you kind of have to still take it with a bit of a grain of salt and like, know that baseball is a streaky game and there's guys that had hot first halves and second halves. And it sort of pays to look at, the whole picture while also trying to identify these changes um, that could go under the radar. So there, there's a balance there. I think it still needs to be taken account for and, and, and considered and be a big part of your process. But like you said, it can't be everything. You can't just be, okay, this, this guy was on fire in the second half. This is who's going to be all next year. Well, no, the first half happened too. So it's probably somewhere in between. Yeah, and I think throughout this show, we just have to be mindful of devil's advocate on on some of these things, too, because we don't want to overreact. We don't want to go off of recency bias necessarily. And there are some things that, like, you know, the writing is on the wall in some cases, but not in others. The comparison that comes to mind is, like, we talked so much in the offseason about Ranger Suarez, and that turned out to be somewhere in the middle, but closer to bad than good, whereas... Nestor Cortez was right next to him on a guy who was like getting results at the mm-hmm. end of last season, quick to write it off, and then he comes through this year, does what he does, and everyone's like, "Oh, well, he did start doing this last season." So, you know, there's different instances like that that I think it's just going to be healthy to to kind of you know volley back and forth on. You know, that was okay to be thinking that way, and um, you know, we we can go from there. It should be healthy discussion. But let's hear let's hear one of your initial. Uh, learning lessons from 2022, Steve? Um, this is mainly a takeaway from my home league. I, I, I stood true to this in the NFBC leagues, in those deeper leagues, and maybe it's because it's my home league. I want to try and hit home runs, and you know I, I'm friendly with all the guys in it, but I need to play it much, much safer in the early rounds. I still like my process of taking mostly hitters in the early rounds, but I need to take guys with track <laughs> records and no double Guys tapping on uh, Buxton, yeah. Mondesi. So, exactly. So <laughs> so here's – I know, no, again, nobody cares about your home league, but this is this is my home league draft. And just looking at it, it's like, what the hell was I thinking? Shohei Otani, it's Fantrax League, first pick, first or first, first round, fourth overall. It's a 14-team head-to-head league, um, like 23-man rosters, so relatively deep. But mm-hmm. Otani, one player – Pitcher hitter. That's why I'm most devastated about being eliminated. It's like I feel it's like I'm wasting so yeah. getting literally like you know the second best hitter and the third best pitcher, whatever you want to call it, in one player in one roster spot. So like, what a waste. Mm-hmm. Second round, Manny Machado. So great start so far. Machado is the type of guy that I want to take every single round in the early round. Then it was Wander Franco, Tyler O'Neill, mm-hmm. Jonathan India. J.D. Martinez, Shane McClanahan in seventh. That's great. But yet I have two aces. How are you going to mess, mess that up? Then Adalberto Mondesi, Luis Garcia, Joey Votto. Like mm-hmm. they need to be. There needs to be one of those guys. One of those Tyler O'Neills. One of the Jonathan Indias. One of the Adalberto Mondesis. The rest need to be more boring oatmeal. Especially if I'm going to just load up on hitters. Like they need to be surefire type things like you know 
one of those picks needs to be Nolan Arenado. One of those picks needs to be, you know, even like Matt Olson, you know, something yeah. like that. I'm not saying like, you know, Alonzo because he hit and was great for most of the year up until the last few weeks when the Mets are on this this downturn. But like guys that are just plug and play. I mean, I'm sure I know. Yes, there's there's some that that mix fail there, too. I would consider J.D. Martinez an oatmeal guy. That yeah. Sort of failed Nick, this Nick Castellanos. Nick Castellanos. That was who I was going to pick up. But yep. uh, but still, that's going to be much more successful than like the Tyler O'Neill and Wander Franco shiny new toy type things like. You know, I wanted Buxton in that build, like right, like mm-hmm. that would have been. I, mean, I know he's been great on a, on a rate status, uh, you know, and other than the average, but you know, he hasn't really played that much. So, the, the, I need to be much safer with with, with my hitters in, in early rounds and just take more established track record guys. I think overall. Well, and to to try to talk you off the ledge just a little bit, I think it's fair on Tyler O'Neill even as, as the Cardinal over here, because we knew the volatility there. Yeah, the carry, that, the that, track yes, record. Yeah. Yes, I, I would say the Wander Franco, it's a tougher, you know, with the, <sighs> the injury and just, and I get that that's a, you paid a, a premium there mm-hmm. and it was kind of unproven, but by the same token, like the plate skills, like if he, if he has a fully healthy season. And, and he was going before the the groin injury and then the hammock injury you know like right he he was clearly playing hurt with the groin all year but that's the thing we have to consider because he's basically saying that like playing on the on the surface in the trop and on the, on the turf there is a problem for him and he's been hurt a lot because of it so he's got to figure that out which is yeah. a reason why i might stay away next year but that's who fair knows, the cost the cost will probably be one where you could take that risk because I, and I think this isn't really talked about. It's like the reason why, you know, Julio Rodriguez was such a good pick this year because it's so late because you could spend those early picks on the safer plays. Mm-hmm. The reason why Wander Franco, it's it's not the player and the skills. Yeah, sure, that's all there. It's the premium you have to pay that you're passing up on the more track record. You know, there's no inflation on a Nolan Arenado in round four. There is inflation on... Uh, Wander Franco in round three, you know that that sort of thing. Yeah, you're you're kind of getting in at the the ceiling price, and it's it it goes back to honestly our episode with uh, the great Mr. Paul Spore, mm-hmm. where I'm trying to pull it up, but I, I know he said he definitely had fears about Tyler O'Neill with oh the, he was the, out the yeah. Domingo Santana comp, but then the I believe he said the same thing about Wander. Um, I'm trying to pull that up. Yeah. Where we got to wander and he was just kind of talking about is the, is the price too high because we did the side by side with Francisco Lindor or Wander Franco. Mm -hmm. And I know Mm -hmm. we liked Lindor as well, but he had some of those same points and -hmm. I think it's valid. Um, but the reason I push back to segue to, to my next one, and I'm curious what you think on this, Steve, because it might be kind of selective bias here, but one of my other learnings that I wanted to focus on is, I think there's something to be said that it, it's a young man's game. And that's kind of what I'm dubbing that uh, lesson is don't forget it's a young man's game. And the reason I say that, I know that not every, you know, spry up and comer is is going to hit. There's a Jared Kellenick out there every time. That said, when I think about some of the the names that have just like emerged on the scene, 
Like we were hesitant on a Bobby Witt. Julio Rodriguez went super late in my home league. Uh, Vinny Pasquantino, I know that that's more like midseason ad, and we were in on the stashing, but it's, you know, Michael Harris is second. Even if you remember, I was kind of fading Alec Manoa just on like, you know, he's still pretty new. Is he going to go through any rough patches? Shane McClanahan's obviously a great example. So my thought there is just like, gosh, for as much as I'm typically the old oatmeal, you know, draft Alex Bregman, not Bobby Witt. I'm wondering, it seems like more and more every year, these young guys just are like more and more solid. And maybe there's ones missing and I'm just kind of being, again, selective on the the ones that I'm looking at. But like Strider, just across the board, it seems like those ones have such a meteoric rise when they do hit that they're truly what I would define as like league winners. So that's why I was kind of questioning the wander because I feel like that could be a similar situation next year where we wouldn't be shocked. But what do you think about that? Is it because you were just kind of on the other side of the coin talking about like wanting oatmeal guys, but uh, you also love these Dylan C's, Shane McClanahan type of names. So how do we kind of balance that youth versus established track record and so on? I, I think you need to be more aggressive with the guys that are more cost efficient. Like, right. Like Michael Harris was a pickup this year. Mm-hmm. Be more aggressive on him and fab. Um, you know, even more recently, Vaughn Grisham has been great for the Braves. Like be mm-hmm. more aggressive on that. I, I still would have a hard time drafting Bobby Witt. Um, I will have a hard time drafting, you know, uh, Gunnar Henderson in the fifth round next year too. If that's the price on them, uh, I'd rather, pick up, you know, uh, Volpe if he comes up mid-season next year, uh, mm-hmm. right? Like, that's that's sort of my, my lesson learned. Like, Michael Harris next year, like, I'm not going to have any shares. He's going to go way, way too high. Uh, you know, there's some chase rate concerns, track record concerns. The price is going to be absolutely astronomical. Um, there's going to be comparisons to Acuna just because he's his teammate and is putting up, you know, better stats than Acuna. Yeah, I know Acuna's hurt right now, but he really is. Uh, but regression is a real thing, and there will be some of it for Michael Harris. And sure, if I miss out on drafting a first-rounder uh, in, like, the third round, uh, I- I'm okay with that because I just need to play it safer because the floor just is is, is lower on these guys. So I think you, you're right, but I think you need to pick your spots. Like yeah. with pitchers, it's easy, uh, at least for me, like that's what I like to do. And what I think I'm best at is identifying who's going to be Shane McClanahan in the sixth round next year. Right. Like I might have, if, if Spencer Strider's in that, in that area next year, maybe he's a little higher, but I envision myself having a lot of Spencer Strider as my SP ones next year. Like yep. that I think is a much safer play than banking on Michael Harris in round two, three or something like that. So, yeah. And to your point, I mean, you were bullish on a guy like Tanner Hawk, but you're not losing any sleep over exactly. that because exactly. that's where the, the cost was. So, mm-hmm. okay. We'll fire over another one from me on your side, Steve. Um, to, to sort of, piggyback off that Spencer Strider idea for my SP one. Like that strategy for me works um, at, at least in, in, in my head to head leagues and my home leagues. Uh, like I said, 
in NFBC and deeper leagues like that with weekly moves and no trading, I need to get my innings, strikeouts, Ks, and wins earlier. So maybe that's waiting but double tapping on a pitcher, you know, going Cease McClanahan. That, that sort of would have been something that, that would have been uh, something that I would have done because there are two guys that I like, but I said, no, I'm not taking two pitchers in round five and six. I only want one. Next year, I would take two in that league. But I still think it works. I don't think paying for top 10 pitching is, is the way to go. Uh, I just think you can get value later. It worked this year. I know the run environment was a lot different. Um, who knows if it'll change, but I'm going to operate like it's going to be the same or similar unless we hear differently about the ball or humidors or something like that, whatever whatever have you. But... Believe in that strategy. It, it, it works. Waiting on pitching for me works. Work to identify who my McClanahan and Cease are going to be this year. You know, I'm already thinking Strider's going to be one, although who knows, maybe maybe the, the price will be a little too high for me uh, on, on him on draft day. But, you know, I'll, I'll have to find someone else, right? Like, you got uh, all off season. Yeah, got all off season digging that, but that strategy for me works. I'm going to be going safe hitters early. And then upside pitchers who are drafted as SP two threes that I think will be SP ones. Yeah, that's a perfect segue to what I was going to hit on, and I know it's from your book, Steve, of waiting on starting pitching. But I think especially what I've kind of looked at and marveled at is that the very top of the starting pitchers just is not worth it, and. Every year, it kind of feels like it's that roulette of like you know which one of the which one of the top three or four is going to be a bust or is going to go down with injury. But this season, it was the opposite for me, where Max Scherzer, who is ranked eighth in five by five leagues, is and he's on the IL is is the only one that was really kind of where you signed up. Now, I guess you could say. Corbin Burns has been more than fine, but he's still ranked 41st. Amongst all these pitchers, he's ranked 41st. And down the line, Garrett Cole is ranked, uh, let's see, I I think it's, he's the 19th starting pitcher. And that is ranked 50th in 5x5. So you'll take it. It's fine. But did you need to burn a late first round pick on that? Uh, Brandon Woodruff ranked 139th in 5 by 5 leagues. You have DeGrom and Walker Bueller. Like, you have to really search for what pitchers, like a Julio Arias, what pitchers actually were you thrilled with the outcome from batters. And you could do a similar thing or from, hitter, or from pitchers. But you could do a similar thing with bats, for sure, that like Bryce Harper goes down with health. Bichette is not what you signed up for. Certainly not Juan Soto. Luis Robert, like it was kind of a rough year overall for the top mm-hmm. two rounds in general. Even Acuna wasn't himself for people who invested there. All that said, I am so much more willing to live with that when it's on the batter side because if you get one of those top aces for pitchers, more than likely you're waiting several rounds because you're like, oh, I'm set. I got a Brandon Woodruff. I don't, I don't need to double down there. And, and, and to, you miss out on Cease and, and McClanahan and and whoever else. You know, you don't pick up Strider because he's in the bullpen and you have Woodruff. Yeah. 
Possibly, yeah. But at the minimum, you're missing out on a Freddie Freeman that's just going to be bankable in everyday production. So I'm officially saying on the record, Steve, do not let me draft one of the top of the tops next year. If that's Shane McClanahan, I'll live with it. When did we start this podcast? When did it? When did it first come out? When was our first it was episode? Probably it was probably December of twenty uh, twenty. So it is September seventh, twenty twenty two, and I have officially welcomed you to no early starting pitcher. It's it's a it's a monumental moment to me. I'm out. Uh, yeah, I love it. I love I've it. officially crossed but over. Yep. We have we have to we have to at least in NFBC we still have to worry about the volume and and and, and things like that. So we have to tweak it a little bit. You of know? course. But, With but. that said, Steve, let me just keep firing away here. I feel like I'm on a roll. Where we're talking about volume, the next one I wanted to to hammer on is. If you can go back mentally to March where we were looking at all these pitchers and there was a huge focus and concern about volume with the lockout and p- pitchers ramping up. And my one of my other learnings is draft the SP talent. Don't be too scared of the innings caps. Because Carlos Rodon, we were all saying, you know, this could be 130, 140. We talked about it as one of the few things I actually got right this season. I said, I think Rodon could actually get volume and be a huge steal. He's at 160 innings and counting. Verlander, everyone was saying, are we getting going to get 130? I know he's on the IL. That's unlucky. But he was at 152. Uh, McClanahan, for how young and the question marks about the, the volume there. And yes, I get it's IL, but in terms of... It looks like he's coming back next week, too. Yeah, and he's at 147 and counting. So I think like some of these guys that you thought were going to be in the 120, 140 range. I went on with Nick, and that was my first pitcher taken in the mock, the first way too early mock draft. He's like, what is he going to get? 100, 110 innings. Like, you know, he's not going to get 150 next year, right? Uh He's at one, he's at 136 already. 136 and counting. Logan Webb, Fromber Valdez. Like, I'm going down this list. Both of those guys are at 170 innings. And they both, the knock on them was they've never gone deep into a season. Uh, Alec Manoa, who I was on, I was the one saying it, that, you know, he's still young. Are they going to have the kid gloves? 163 and counting. Pablo Lopez, 150 innings. So I think where I'm at is like, don't be so damn scared of 125 innings when it's just a bunch of analysts kind of guessing that. So much of it is team context, how they're pitching into games. And All nobody knows. You don't know who's going to get hurt. You don't know who's going to go more. You don't know who's not going to hold up. Like you don't. You, you just don't know. So right. like, you know, yeah, don't exactly. Be, don't be a prisoner to that. You, you don't know. Like, sure, you might only get a hundred innings from Michael Kopech, but yeah, you also might get the hundred seventy from Rodon too. You know. Right. How's the Walker Bueller volume play working yeah. out right now? Yeah, like exactly. th- that's those are just things that kind of play into what you were talking about. So. We'll talk about some more lessons, guys, but first we're going to take a real quick ad break and we'll be right back. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at pitcherlist.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with 
with promo code podcast. Also, don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from YouTube videos, live streams, newsletters, off-season articles, TikToks, breakdowns, over 15 baseball podcasts on our network. We can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season. So sign up for PL Plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free. All right. Thanks for listening. Let's get back to the show. Okay, so Steve, I've been hogging the mic over here, trying to get fired up on some rants, but uh, let's hear another uh, lesson from the season from your side of things. So th- this is for leagues that allow trades, so not for like NFC, NFBC platforms, more for like your home leagues, things like that. Um, but I've been victim to this probably the last two or three years, um, and it's don't overpay in trades, like especially for big names. Like I did it last year. I overpaid for Gallon and for Kyle Tucker. Um, sure, those guys were great, um, but I, I don't remember those trades offhand, but I gave up more than, you know, 100 cents on the dollar. This year in my home league, I did it for Rafael Devers and for Juan Soto. Obviously, those weren't great, um, but I gave up Machado and, like, Luis Garcia for Soto, which, sure... That's fair, but like you're fine with Machado, right? Like, I need you need to understand that, like, to get a marginal upgrade, like, I just kept on saying, like, Soto is potentially the first overall player, but you might not be, uh, you know, at least for a certain stretch. So, I need to stop overpaying and maybe I have this reputation in my home league now of this guy that you can run the price up now for a guy that I like, right? Like Kyle Tucker was such a buy low last year, right? Like his stat cast page was bright red and he was hitting 210 with seven homers, but I didn't pay for a guy that was hitting 210 with seven homers. I paid for a first round Kyle Tucker and sure he was close to a first round, but you're not going to get any value unless you, you know, have some sort of cost efficiency in those trades. I know we had a whole trading episode and how it needs to be fair, but it can't be so fair that you're losing value, right? Like I need to be probably more patient, which goes into my next one. But well, let me I let me ask you a question. Those, let me ask you a question, Steve. When when were you making these trades? Like at what stage of the season? Because I think that factors. I, I I made the the Devers the the Devers and Soto trade. I made in tandem, basically. Uh, Mid July, late uh, late July, around our trade deadline. Uh, so that that that's the caveat I'll throw out is to me I I think it's more encouraged if it is in a, a May or June or some time where basically if you are overpaying a little bit you're leaving yourself some forgiveness to be active on the wire. You know if you're giving up a three for one or a two for one sometimes you can still catch that Spencer Strider on the wire or whoever it is. Whereas late July, you're really hoping it's just like flipping a switch uh-huh. for a cold player, which I mean, again, that's soft analysis, but I've no, certainly felt great, that way. I came really close to smashing the accept on a Giolito, uh, like by low when we looked at the, the white Sox schedule after all-star break. And we were like, Oh, these matchups are so easy. And I almost gave up like, Logan Gilbert and a really good bat. Like it was like a Michael Harris a second or something. And I was like, Giolito could be a league winner. That was really going to be like four starts, four or five starts. And he tanked in those anyway. But 
Juan Soto is still Juan Soto, and I know it's tough luck, but if you could have done that type of a move in early June, I just think it has a little bit yeah. different of a complexion than like a late July deal, if that makes sense. Yep, that's a that's a that's a great point. I mean, that's uh, I, I've never really thought of it that way, but that really is true. Like, one, you give yourself more time for the player to turn around and go on a hot streak. Like, you know, if Soto's cold for four weeks or you know, quote unquote cold, it's it's two. You know, he's still got an eight hundred OPS over the last whatever month, but it comes with four home runs and seven RBIs. But if you do that in August, like that's it, you're you're done. Like you're not going to make the playoffs or you're not going to make the push to, to gain standing points. If you're right, if you do it earlier when Soto was cold in April, you got that extremely hot June and also time to make additional moves to help you cover there. That's a, a, a really, really, really good point. Um, and I just don't want to, I don't want to miss the Steve Gisueli trade episodes on this show. You know, Of course, I, like, you know, there's still trades that, that I did that, I, you know, we're beneficial and I'm still going to be active. Like, you know, uh, I, I traded for Marcus Simeon when he had zero home runs, like, you know, and he 2020 guy. Yeah, yeah exactly. So th- there's still things to do, but I think maybe it's trying to find those buy low guys earlier and then paying for that rather than paying full price for like a Juan Soto, you know, in, in July trade for Juan Soto in April when he was hitting 200 with five home runs or whatever, you know? Yeah. That's fair. Okay, I got another one. Speaking of uh, Don't Be Prisoner, it is uh, titled Don't Be Prisoner of ADP. Reach for discount top talent. And uh, I think this goes back again to the mindset on draft day, Steve. We loved McClanahan. His ADP was floating around 105 in, in the leagues I was drafting in at the time. Verlander was climbing... But it was only up to like a 91. And I remember thinking to myself, like, I absolutely, and it, again, it goes back to the Paul Spore where he was like, I'm cutting out the middleman. I know he's going to end up at an ADP of like 40, and I don't want to wait for the, the industry to correct there. I'm just going to move him there. And I totally respect that. And I wish I would have done that. I think you look mm-hmm. at ADP sometimes and you think you have this little cushion of, what the rules are and all it takes is one guy in the draft room who likes him more than you. And suddenly you missed out on a Verlander at pick 75 because you were thinking you could get him at 91. And I was very upset when that happened for both Verlander and McClanahan. And I lost out on him. Same can be said for a Zach Gallen, uh, a Carlos Rodon, whose ADP was going a little bit the other way, but it was like, those are those are top talents that have a discount. And we all knew it. So many people were talking about that. It was on Eno's, you know, stuff plus charts, all that stuff. The gallon gals. It, I, I'm not doing it next year. If, if I love a guy at 140, I'm not going to wait and try to catch lightning in a bottle at pick 137. I'll get him at 111 if that's what it takes. The flip side of this, don't be prisoner of ADP, is I also kind of swayed on my draft strategy and my team build because of guys who had fallen later than they should have. And this happens to me every year. And it's always like, why is this guy still on the board three rounds later? And eventually I'm just like, you know what? I'll take the Mike Moustakis. Or this year it was, Mm -hmm. I'll take Ryan Mountcastle at pick 174. It was way late. He was supposed to be 112 or something. 
And instead of picking a Julio Rodriguez who went two picks later, that I might have said, oh, this is the upside part of the draft, I ended up grabbing a guy who I was very reluctant to drop for you know the first seven or eight weeks into the season, and I'm missing out on the Kyle Wrights, all these other ones, because we all know the strategy of you know draft your stability up front, go for flyers later, and if you end up kind of handcuffing yourself to a player who you think is supposed to be good, it can just lead to like a reluctance of of dropping him and being agile on the on the wire and everything like that. So that's just the overall takeaway for me is don't fall victim to just like thinking I have to look at their ADP and go within 15 picks one way or another of it. But that's again another another draft one there. Yeah, I I, I really agree. Uh, Gray at Rasball talks about this like. A lot of ADP is determined by a few guys in November who decide to do a few early drafts, and that's where these guys go. And I know some stuff sways and things change as we get into full draft season, but still, the base of it is built in November, and you kind of have to remember that. Like, If there's a guy that you like, draft him, bump his price. If there's a guy that you don't like, don't just draft him because he's there late because it's a good value. Still, basically, just always draft guys that you like. Um for me, I'm going to like a lot safer hitters early, but still, uh, uh, that that's that's a, a great takeaway, and I think a, an important process to trust. Like, believe your process. I think is another way to to put into this. Like, you know, you're going to be doing all these research. Like, we're going to spend all these cold winter months preparing for these drafts in March and 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 getting ready for. You know, the season, we're going to put a lot of work into this and we're going to find a lot of guys that we like. Make sure you get them. Go get your guys. Avoid the guys you don't like. Um, trust the process, you know. Uh, the the 76ers mo- uh, motto, whatever it is, uh, it, 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 it works uh, with Daryl Morey, right? That, that's uh, the trust the process. Uh, Joel and yeah. to make this an NBA podcast, but. Uh, yes, indeed. You have you have to believe in in the work that you put in and, and the guys that you get. Like there be there's not there would be nothing worse than like, you know, I, in my home league, like Cease went probably a, a round or two earlier than than I was hoping to take him. Like, you know, just because I don't I don't normally draft a pitcher in round five or four. Like, I really like the guy. I should have bumped up my my cost there and had Cease and McClanahan right. Like mm-hmm. instead of. Tyler O'Neill and McClanahan, something like that, whatever. Um, but trust your process, find the guys that you like, and avoid the ones that, that you don't, and make your decisions based on that. Well said. I think uh, maybe we need to just print these things out in draft season, keep them next to the laptops. Yeah. We and, definitely have to listen. Like, we, like, we'll, like, for before our drafts, like, let's just listen back to this. And, and you know, it's like a time capsule, like, uh, you know. <laughs> Uh, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if you saw. Dear if you future, saw. dear future yeah. Van, do not let Vinny P yeah. fall to one twenty. Just grab him in the eighties. It's yep. over. Exa- exactly. Yep. Find the guy. I hope he doesn't like you know go on a tear or something when he comes back, just to keep his his cost down, so we could draft him as a as a nice late late hitter. And if we need to, hey, bump bump the bump the cost if he does right because yes. we like him. So. Yes. Uh, okay, Steve, uh, it's back over to you. Uh, 
what, what are we thinking here? This this is this kind of ties into you know my overreacting with you can see like the the trades that I made and overpaying for Devers and for Soto, um, and and that's be patient with hitters, especially veteran guys. Like right, like I would have been panicking, and, and I did on a few teams that I had like Alex Bregman on, but like the old reliable steady hitters, like be patient with those guys. Like they're gonna be good. Like. Schwarber, you know, Schwarber, exactly. Like even though it's it's just June now, pretty much each month that he goes on these runs. But hey, June happens every year. Last time I checked, so Schwarber's going to have uh, an 18 homer run- month in June, right? Like in April when he was hitting 100 with four home runs. Like don't panic. Um, be patient with those guys. I think it's you know, especially with the run environment, guys are streaker than than, than they have been. Like. You know, even like Otani at one point, it was like, you know, oh, my God, he's hitting under 250. Like, the homers are there, but his OPS is a low 800. Like, look at it now. Like, at the end of the season, he's going to have a 900 OPS with close to 40 homers pretty much, you know. Um, even, you know, guys like Vlad had, like, slow starts, and his, his end-of-year line is going to be good. Uh, you know, the, the, there's there's a lot of trust to have in these top end hitters. Remember, you know, Freddie Freeman too. Like, it's like, Oh my God, he doesn't hit any homers. And I know he's only got, you know, 19 homers. We'll, we'll, we'll finish with a low homer total, but he's still one of the best hitters in the league. And if you panic early on that stuff, you're in trouble. So with hitters, especially established ones, um, be a lot more patient, trust in them. And, you know, understand that there's ebbs and flows and, Guys start off slow, um, but for the most part, like, you know, there's obviously exceptions. Like Nelson Cruz, even like Tyler O'Neill, guys that are streaky, that are old. Mm-hmm. You might need to act earlier, but for guys that have this established track record and sort of put up the back of the baseball card numbers every year, like be patient with those guys and trust that they're going to be be good. And it's in the middle of the season too, like, right? Like Manny Machado, like he had that cold spell after that ankle injury and it looked bad and he came back and probably, you know, he's, he's a guy that doesn't even like to go on the IL. He didn't go on the IL probably came back a little too soon and was slow, but you know, once he got right, uh, you know, he'll pick it up. Like even with Rafael Devers, like I'm sure if he had enough time to get right from this hamstring injury and doesn't look like he can't run anymore, which is what he's going through right now, he'll be fine. Like next year he'll be fine. Trust in that. You know, it's Rafael Devers, right? Um, I, I think I just need more patience overall with, with established hitters and, and to trust that they'll be okay um, for my offense on a whole next year. Yeah, I think the established factor and kind of top end is is the most important thing to, like, call out there and, and note because there's, you know, some learnings on my side where it was like, man— I moved on from Cabrian Hayes. I, I haven't lost sleep over it. He never really got right, but he doesn't really have that, that track mm-hmm. record. And yep. it was pretty, you know, if you give it a long enough run of time, you can look at it and say, like, what, you know, why am I holding on here? Could I take a shot at somebody who's got some more upside, even though third base was certainly a wasteland? But, yeah, I think the ones at the top that, that you said, Steve, it's like year over year, you know that they're – back of the baseball card kind of guys that makes total sense it's more the ones that you might have invested in early on um but they got a lot of holes in their swing different things like that that 
I, I'm kind of of the the thinking, especially this year, how many people just kind of came out of nowhere. My my next learning is is basically focusing on don't hold on too long to late draft picks. So mm-hmm. I looked at my home league, Steve, by round, and I basically was just looking at uh, this is from the draft from, by round, which or how many players ended up being more or less like difference makers, like really good contributors to fantasy squads. And there was pretty much one, maybe two in each round. So in the 14th round, just uh, Tristan McKenzie. 15th round, Luis Arias, if you're even calling that. I mean, I know kind of hollow average. 16th round, Jordan Montgomery, Tony Gonsolin. 17th, no one. 18th, Hunter Renfro, if you're counting that, but it took a long time for him to get going as well. 19th, Nestor Cortez. 20th, Stephen Kwan, who is basically just an average cheat code for me. That said, you're literally looking at seven rounds there and seven players. And I think my issue is I'll give those guys six to eight weeks if I like the player, and that's just the prime window to be grabbing all these guys who are just like Mm -hmm. emerging and I I think that's something I want to be much more intentional about next year is don't draft the you know the hipsters as Nick calls it with the the headache inducing uh starting pitchers that basically you know and Aaron Ashby I added and I dropped and I added and dropped and that's fine like he he was a guy who from a process standpoint I wanted to take shots on the upside there but in the future, I don't think I need to be holding on to some of the later picks and just saying, oh, well, I really think this 17th round guy is, is going to come around. Or, or what's the point of even waiting on it for eight weeks if you're missing out on making the early moves on free agents that are just like busting onto the scene? So I think there's truth to both of our takes there that give patience to your early round established guys, but... Don't be waiting around forever for like a, you know, a Bellinger or something like that, where it's just going to drive you crazy and there's reasons to question it. Yeah, I, I, I'm. You're not going to take much convincing for me on that. Basically, anyone after round, you know, ten. I know that's probably a little early, but I would consider close to droppable after the first few weeks of the season. Um, there's just so many guys, right? Like, just looking at my draft board, too, like, there's one or two guys, like, from rounds 10 to 15. And then after that, from, like, 15 to, like, 23, it's, like, one every other round that 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 are hits, right? Like, yeah. it, it, it's, it's literally hit or miss. And a lot of those guys you're going to find are on the wire and don't get drafted. It's just because, you know... Uh, we're not that as much as we do. Like it's it's hard to identify who's going to be valuable, especially that end, that that late in the draft. And you know, there's there's so much success. And maybe uh, the the other part to this sort of lesson is to be more aggressive on the waiver wire early. Um, I know you said you had trouble with saves, but like in most of my leagues, even like DGFBI, like Daniel Bard was a guy that I spent big money on, and. Mm-hmm. Got a got a a closer in my home league too that I picked him up. You know when I saw that he had the job, like sure, yeah, it might be 
twenty percent of your budget early on, but then you don't have a, a closer headache the rest of the way. So um, be more aggressive. Um, I would also sort of look at you know Spencer Strider as as a lesson learned too. I added and dropped him and didn't pay attention to what he was starting. Like you know when he, when he wasn't starting, basically sort of viewed it as oh you know they might not start him. He, yeah. you know, Christian Javier. Christian yeah, Javier. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Exactly. Like, hold on to that skill. Um, don't worry about the roles as much, and, and you know, be aggressive with those guys. It's it, it, it pays off. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a great one. And pr- probably this, the summary use case for me was like a Hunter Renfro, who I did have. I hung on to him for six weeks when he had like one home run, which was allow or causing me to miss out on a lot of guys I could have been adding. Mm-hmm. And then I did drop them and, and the patience. Yeah. The patience would have paid off, which is, you yeah. know, that's fantasy baseball. Yeah, that's, but that's, that's kind the of worst thing of, you could possibly get caught in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like what you, what ideally what you do there is you drop Hunter Renfro, you add someone else and then whoever else is cold, you add Hunter Renfro back for, for the hot streak. Uh, I almost did that with, with Strider in a few leagues, but got caught not holding the potato when I would want to, even though that's not the greatest analogy, right? Like you don't want to be holding the hot potato, but right. whatever. You, you you want to thread the needle and mm-hmm. add him back for that starting role, but uh, was a bit too aggressive dropping him and, and not as aggressive as should be adding him back. So you kind of want to thread that needle there and, and, and find that perfect medium, but... I think overall it pays to be more aggressive there uh, yeah. in the early season. For sure. And, you know, this show is, of course, being recorded the the weeks after we have both gotten bounced. I think throughout the season we had, we had great cause. The texts we were throwing back and forth, it checked out on a, a process standpoint, strategy standpoint. Sometimes there is a little bit of luck that, that factors in, but – Super healthy. I, I just want to acknowledge that, uh, you know, we might be down on, on the process here. Cue the Martina McBride uh, sad puppy music that we got bounced from our leagues. But, uh, you know, overall, Steve, I think um, still since uh, I certainly can claim that since we started doing this, I have uh, regularly become more and more of a contender and, uh, you know, that's all you can ask for is that you kind of stay Absolutely. locked in and you, you follow the process. So that's that's important stuff. But this this is a great show. Um, you know, looking back, running through some of these van, don't don't overreact to second halves. Don't draft starting pitchers at the very top of the draft. Music uh, to my ears. Yeah. Don't don't fear the innings limits in air quotes. Uh, don't be prisoner to ADP. Uh, it's okay to reach for your guys and it's okay to pass on some of those values that don't really fit your build. Uh, don't hold on too long to later draft picks and don't forget that it can be a young man's game if you're seeing an emerging talent and the cost is low like you amended there, Steve. But recap your lesson, Steve, and then we'll uh, do some, some closing here. Yeah, I'm going to be playing it safer with hitters earlier uh, in, in earlier rounds. Um, my strategy of waiting on pitchers, so sort of your uh, your lesson learned for uh, you know don't draft the very top starting pitchers uh, works. Um, don't overpay in trades for big names. 
and then be patient with established hitters. Uh, I, I think our, our kind of fit in tandem, and I think if we follow all of those, uh, we're going to go undefeated next year for sure. Yes, we'll, we'll trust <laughs> the process, and uh, you know, if we continue to bring these up to hold ourselves accountable. It's what we do here at Wins Buff Fantasy. So that's great, Steve. Uh, from here, looking ahead, I mean. You know, we got a pretty open floor for upcoming topics. Of course, any listeners, feel free to email us, winsbovefantasy at gmail.com for any topics you guys would like, any player breakdowns from the season, any of that good stuff. But we'll, we'll get into uh, the chalkboard review. Of course, do some uh, fantasy MVPs, league winners, all that good stuff. And uh, yeah, I don't know, Steve, anything to add on the uh, reflection episode here? No, Um so far, so good, and and think it's uh, you know, we kind of been itching out the bit, like I said in the open, uh, to to start to get into recap mode and, and reflection mode, and you know, I'm sure we could still do some, some stuff uh, while the regular season's going on. I know we got like three and a half weeks left at this point, but um, it's exciting. Uh, can't wait to start doing some mock drafts, find up some guys, and and start to recap. Um, uh, our, our calls and stuff. Maybe we can do that over the next few weeks just because once the season ends, it will start to go into like, you know, mock draft comes on you pretty quickly. So maybe we can start recapping our bowl predictions, things like that a little bit earlier, get a head start on that. So that'll be a lot of fun and looking forward to uh, bringing the off season with you. Uh, another another uh, year winding down of wins above fantasy. It's uh, hard to believe it, but a ton of fun. I know, man. It's and it's a grind. I mean, six months since March when we were in the the throes of draft prep. It really, it goes fast. It just seems like oh, it's the you know the season. But when you when you look at it month over month, it's it's been a uh, absolute grind for probably well over six months. So, yeah, I think in the the future shows maybe a, a programming note. We can we can do a couple. Maybe we start, Steve, with like a, a pitcher to add, a hitter to add. Yeah. Oh, that's a great so idea. That, so that yep. we got a yep. little bit Still of actionable got a little, stuff, yeah. and then we get into kind of the, the big picture, if, if love that it. sounds good. That's a that's a great call. I love that. Look at us. Just doing yeah. programming notes on the fly. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, guys. Uh, as always, like we said, it's an absolute privilege to have you guys tuning in. You can follow us on Twitter at WinsBuffPod. I'm at Van underscore Verified. And Steve is at Stav8818. That wraps up episode 72. Talking about lessons learned in 2022. Thanks for talking baseball with us. And we will talk to you next week. Thanks, guys. Later.